Welcome to Building Boston and Beyond. I am Lydia Rivera. This educational podcast provides residents with information on the economic growth of their community and the many resources and services available to improve their quality of life. From discussions with public officials, businesses, organizations, and people wanting to affect change, Building Boston and Beyond aims to further educate and empower residents to have a voice, connect with their community, and join the decision-making process. Part of the fabric of Boston is its transit agency, the MBTA. People are in tune to their transportation services, including its convenience. Public transportation is a popular topic as people like to see and understand system investments. With me today to talk transportation is MBTA Deputy General Manager, Jeff Gonneville. Jeff's interest in transportation began as a youth in high school and continued into college at UMass Amherst, where Jeff, in his own words, admits that's where he caught the transit bug. A 20-year career at the MBTA, holding various positions in operations, Jeff speaks passionately of the workforce commitment to providing service during COVID and the new strategies and investments underway to improve the customer experience. And of course, there's more. Let's hear from Jeff. Let's talk about your career at the T. What prompted your career in transportation? I actually love telling this story. All through high school was definitely one of those kids who was really into cars and trucks and working on cars. I went to UMass Amherst. I went for my freshman orientation. So it was the summer of my senior year of high school into my freshman year. And they had these campus shuttles that you could get on PBTA bus. And on that bus, there's a bumper sticker behind the driver that said, this bus is operated by a UMass student, if interested. Long story short, I went and I applied for a job because I thought to myself, wow, if they've got student drivers, they must have student mechanics. And wow, what a really great way for me to work through college is working on buses. Right. So I went ahead, I applied for a job. It's UMass Transit is the, the transit system. They operate equipment in the kind of the five college region for Pioneer Valley Transportation Authority, PVTA. It is essentially almost like a student-run organization. It's amazing. And where you have student managers that work their way up the ranks, and then you have these senior staff positions. And there's like five or six of these senior staff positions that are really more like mentors for you. You had to start as a bus driver than anything else you built on from there. So I did end up going to work in the maintenance divisions. I loved my time at UMass Transit. I learned so much. And I also worked my way up to being the student staff position in charge of vehicle maintenance and, you know, really cut my teeth in transit management there. And I would say that's probably where where and when I caught the transit bug. I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I really felt just a connection to what we do every day. Following uh, graduation, I went to work for a private company in Detroit, Michigan that does buses and, and runs bus service. And I was the maintenance manager there for about a year and a half, two years. Now, it's worth mentioning at UMass Transit, I also met my wife. Both of us are from Western Massachusetts. We wanted to come back home. And she and I kept checking the MBTA postings for positions and jobs. And I knew that if I wanted to use my engineering degree and still continue my career in transportation and come back to Boston, the T was obviously where I was going to come. I applied for a job at the T in our vehicle engineering division. And, you know, from there, I've just had this amazing career here at the T. And, and I've been here now for over 20 years. Wow. Crazy to say that and to think about that, right? If you would have tapped me on the shoulder, you know, 20 years ago and said, Jeff, someday you're going to be the deputy general manager of the NBA. 
I would have said, you are crazy that I never would have expected this. And I'm just so fortunate in my career. And that, that feeling that I had back when I was at UMass about the excitement and just this professional fulfillment of what you do and what we do every day, I still haven't lost that. And I really do love, love what we do here at The Authority. So that's how I got my start in transit. That's wonderful. That, that's a great story. It really is. And, and clearly, it, you rose through the ranks. And I'm very impressed because that really makes you the leader you are today. Obviously, we're moving slowly out of COVID with the inoculations continuing and more and more people are going outside. And similar to transit agencies across the country, COVID has had a major impact on ridership and operations and how you are moving forward. And obviously there are things that you have implemented in place as processes that you will probably will continue. Let's talk about that because you, you obviously have a responsibility to the public, but clearly to your workforce. Right, right. We're kind of going to go off on a tangent here a little bit. <laughs> it's all right with you, but of course, I think the pandemic, the pandemic was unlike anything that, you know, I think any of us have ever experienced. And uh, at least during during our lifetimes, and I would say that we, whether it's the MBTA or really any industry, was really forced to transition and transform and just start thinking about things completely differently. I would be completely remiss if I didn't say this: that I have a, just such a tremendous amount of respect for the workforce, our workforce, who came to work every day during the pandemic. And, you know, thinking about those earlier days, and I can tell you that whether it's Jimmy Evers, who's the the president of Local 589, or Mike Vadabedian from Local 264, Mm -hmm. and just some of the pre-established relationships that I have had with so many of the union leadership, when you think about your discussions that you have with your union leadership about what you're doing generally in a non-pandemic environment, it's about efficiency, it's about making improvements, about making rule changes, whatever that may be. We were literally in discussions about things that were life and death. And our employees came to work knowing that there was the possibility that they could, one, catch this that would affect their health and potentially their loved ones, their friends, their families at home. And that is, that's just tremendous to think about that. So I am so proud of everything that the workers in the T has been done. And I'm so proud to say that I, I, I that, that this is part of my family here and that, that of everything that the team has done and the team is broadly all of the MBTA employees uh, who, who really worked and managed through this, this pandemic. I see that. I mean, again, having the the responsibility to the public and providing that public transportation. We always take into consideration the hospitality industry, people that have to go to work and people that depend on public transportation and and the efforts that you put to ensure that they feel safe and the uh, sterilization and the cleanliness efforts that you've implemented just to ensure that people could get from A to B. Right, right. Right, exactly. So I think getting back to your your original question, Lydia, I think there there are a number of things that we instituted. I mean, right now the T spending almost a million dollars a week on disinfecting broadly across the system. That's everywhere from our facilities, our stations, to our vehicles. But what has also come through the, through this is is a number of different processes and process changes that I think we're going to continue to carry forward. And also some discussions on some new technologies. So for instance, I met with vehicle maintenance team who are currently looking at some UV equipment that we would be potentially installing into our vehicles that would be constantly cleaning the air through the vehicle's HVAC system. So there's a number of things that I think we want to continue going and continue 
moving forward with as it relates to a lot of the processes, processes, procedures, and just things that we've done overall through all of this. You know, one of the things that the pandemic also did for us as an organization, which may not be necessarily that interesting to folks external to the T, mm. but internal to the T, we set up various working groups very quickly, work streams on workforce administration, a work stream on disinfecting, mm-hmm. a work stream on a number of other items. But essentially, these work streams were made up and we put individuals on from cross-departmental within the organization. And they needed to work to come up with policies and procedures and things that we just didn't have in place before. That is some of the internal processes that I think we're going to continue to to try to capitalize on the teamwork and really the the cross-departmental work streams that were put in place and, and making sure that we keep that going. Right, right. Coordination and organization within is so important. Right. Because how can you be effective? That's right. Externally. As we're thinking about building back, you know, we've talked a lot about this publicly on the commuter rail network, on the bus network. You know, we really are thinking about how can we build back even better than we were before? And that's what we're really trying to do. On the commuter rail network, I think that's the one area where I think we feel as though a majority of our riders are going to have potentially some flexibility for teleworking in the future, which really means we have to rethink that model. You know, we have to rethink these ideas of the AM rush and the PM rush and what can we do a little bit differently. So those are some active conversations that we're doing right now, but we have piloted a new schedule of kind of these more clock face, some meeting like every hour, every hour and a 15 minutes, a train comes on a number of our lines throughout the entire day to giving people other alternatives and seeing, okay, can we, as there's a new patterns are going to be developing as people are coming out, is this something that will work for us? So, you know, we'll see, we'll see. Well, I agree. The flexibility of people's schedules and people may not return to five days a week. But if they're traveling three days a week, they may go in at 10 o'clock, they may go in at seven. So I'm in agreement with that process. It just sounds yeah. exciting. And you do have to just research and investigate new processes and alternatives. That's right. You know, as they say, it's just, it'll be a new transportation system in the sense of your scheduling and who you are transporting back and forth. Right. One positive thing I believe we can talk about more, you, the MBTA, have had the opportunity to conduct some maintenance work out there. Right. That, as we know from our experience, that it's just so hard that window of opportunity to perform maintenance is very, very small at the T, not having other tracks to coordinate that type of issue. So let's talk more about your infrastructure improvements. Yeah. So I think not that there was a positive that came out of the pandemic, mm-hmm. but this is definitely something that was new that we've we've tried and that we've done. And, and I'm going to go back, Lydia, to when you were here at the T. And for those of you that don't know that are listening in right now, Lydia is a graduate of the MBTA program, so to speak, or a retiree of the MBTA. And I knew Lydia from years ago when we worked together here. Right. You know, Lydia, you might remember years ago in that model, It was unheard of for us to do anything more than maybe one diversion per weekend. And, you know, and there was a lot of different reasons for that, which were very good reasons at the time. Over the last really couple of years, we have working internally to build up a capacity to allow us to do multiple diversions on multiple weekends. What we refer to internally as early access, but diversions during the week at at 9 p.m. on multiple lines across the system. And that's really all to invest into the authority state of good repair and invest into the authority system. And believe me, we can spend hours talking about the T's needs and really working towards addressing all of those needs. The ridership reduction that we saw as a result of the pandemic gave us another interesting alternative. So building off of that, we saw that obviously roadway congestion 
completely diminished. And we saw that our ridership diminished as well. So it actually made things possible of shutting down lines during the week, which in a non-COVID time would be absolutely unheard of, right? Um, we were able to shut down lines and sections of the red line, the orange line, the green line, and what we referred to as surge work internally of basically being able to do a lot of those capital investments and what we were planning on doing at after 9 p.m. every night or on weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were able to save a lot of time and being able to execute on a number of those programs by doing these surges. And obviously, there's a bit of a savings a, from an efficiency standpoint of getting the projects done quickly because you don't have to mobile and then demobilize, mobilize, and demobilize every single night. But also there was a, a cost savings as well with some of these programs, just not having to do that demobilization and mobilization on a nightly basis or on a weekly basis. Right. And I'm happy you're sharing that because, you know, sometimes the public just doesn't understand that and sometimes doesn't realize the behind the scenes work that it takes to run a transportation system and that conducting the maintenance is timely and costly. And again, back to the window of opportunity to do that. So as a result of what happened with the pandemic, you were able to execute a number of initiatives that probably would still be going on now or just into the future and be untimely. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you think about normal business day, even do the maintenance that we have to conduct of our system, and that's everything, track power signals, infrastructure, the tunnel infrastructure itself. We can't get out there and start that work until we stop running trains. Trains generally, by the time that we shut the system down and all the trains are where they need to be for morning pullouts, we're still talking 1.30, 2 o'clock. At that point in time, our power department has to go out and start shutting power off in sections. That takes time. Then your crews mobilize and they come out. So let's just say hypothetically 2.30 in the morning, that's when everybody gets to get on the right of way. They start working. We resume service again at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. So that's a very short window of time that we have to do maintenance of the system on the overnight. So this created a great opportunity for us to really get in and and do maintenance. While we had these lines shut down for the capital program, the capital project, Mm -hmm. we also had different divisions, different departments or other programs that were ongoing. If they could capitalize and use that time being out of service, we also did that work during that time as well. That's wonderful. So you're a bus guy. Let's move to like buses and the bus modernization program that is underway. Yes. I love buses. Um, I know you do. You love buses. And it's pretty cool. The whole whole talk of BEBs and just every day there's that new technology and having them able to operate in inclement weather when two years ago they couldn't. And let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. So we're laying a trajectory now for bus operations that is, one, going to modernize our bus facilities. Anyone that has been or is familiar with the T knows like our Quincy garage that we have today or our Lynn garage, our Fellsway garage. These garages are really old and absolutely either in need of a major, major overhaul or replacement. And I, I think the Quincy garage right now, we have a, a site that we're in the process of securing and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully that will be the site of, you know, knock on some wood here, but hopefully that'll be the site of a new bus maintenance facility for us. And we're really trying to lay a trajectory to continue for all of our other facilities to either retrofit or modernize all of our facilities to getting us ready for that future alternative bus technology. And battery electric buses, you're right, that technology is is continuing to grow and continuing to evolve. Yes. We are in a little bit of a transitional state too. And knowing that 
we have to run service every morning. You know, we are kind of transitioning between purchasing diesel hybrid buses, which then mm-hmm. themselves are considerably greener than, you know, the old buses that the T used to operate in the past. Really, yeah. um, and then transitioning from those hybrid buses over to battery electric buses. So something that we are excited about, we're currently thinking through some different strategies of what we'll be buying and what when we will be buying them. But, you know, certainly something that we're going to be uh, working a lot on in the future and having a lot of discussions with our current board and our future board on this topic. I agree. And from my experience, it is a process. So you just can't jump in both feet. You really have to examine and research the types of buses that you want to probably at the end of the day get to. But in the interim, I I do agree with the hybrid process. And then ultimately, uh, getting to bees, bees, but getting to the level of that we're confident that it'll be able to work. And it's because it's the investment. Exactly. That alternative technology, I mean, it is, again, it's evolving on a daily basis. And I really believe that that's the future. And that is really where we're going to be going and building towards. And one of the things that we know with our bus fleet right now is we are capacity constrained. So even if the board said tomorrow, you've got 150 more buses, go and use them. We're going to stand back and scratch our heads and say, shoot, where are we going to put them? So building and investing in our maintenance facilities above me on making them state of the art, but just even having the capacity to store and maintain additional buses and having the infrastructure to be able to support battery electric technology is something that we really want to make sure that we get done and get addressed for the MBTA. And some of that is going to be very active discussions that we're going to have with the board as we think about the future and and the future of what we're calling bus transformation or transformation of bus for the MBTA. Right. Uh, I'm, again, happy we're sharing this with communicating this with the public, because I believe most don't know some of our bus facilities are 70, 80 years old, and it's about efficiency. I believe the Quincy bus facility, and I think some of the historians out there would jump in, but I think even, maybe even Lynn. Lynn Over a hundred. Yeah, exactly. And that they actually were old, old trolley barns that were converted. So I think no one will doubt these facilities need to be addressed. The Quincy facility, you can't even lift the bus up into the air. You know, a major transit system in the United States, that is not the way you should maintain no. buses. So we're excited about that. Right. And it's something that, you know, we have, you know, a lot of active conversations that we're going to have with the board to be able to do this because unfortunately, all of these changes are not cheap, right? So I got to be careful what I say here because I don't want to get myself <laughs> in trouble, but none of these changes are cheap. And it's something though that we're going to have to have a, a conversation with the board with as it relates to just how we're going to continue to progress this. You know, more near term, our focus really is on that Quincy facility. And we're all really excited about that. Yes, yes. And I support you on that. Just as a sidebar, what is your, your favorite bus type? <laughs> I feel like I'm asking, what is your favorite type? What is your favorite type of bus you would? Lydia, I have to go with this one. <laughs> I was hired at the T as the senior technical project manager for the agency because of the new technology buses that we were buying. It was a new position. It was something that was posted for, and it was essentially to be the project manager for the electric trolley buses that are still today running in North Cambridge. Our conversion to compressed natural gas buses that we had in the time, and that contract hadn't quite been awarded yet. And then it was the 60-foot buses, CNG buses that we ran on the Washington Street Silver Line. And then there was the dual mode buses, which we run. On, on the SL1, SL2, and now SL3, both silver line dual mode buses. So these are the, the airport buses that have the pantographs. And I will tell you, as a young engineer being handed, you know, essentially, this is your baby and knowing that 60 foot CNG buses, this was the first, we were the first, I think, in maybe the world, I mean, in the country for a low floor bus where we took high pressure CNG lines and ran them through articulation joint. But then 
that dual mode bus, that was so state of the art for the time. And it was, we, we had a manage through that. We had a manage through a manufacturer that was filing and going through bankruptcy and still being able to get a, con a contract and a bus that was reliable. So if I had to pick any of the, the buses that I, I still ride on today and I'm like, wow, this is, I, you know, I was really a big part of this. It's, it's gotta be those dual mode buses. I, I really, it was, those were so technologically advanced for their time and definitely something that I enjoyed, enjoyed being part of. And they were, they were a part of my earlier career, early career here at the T. You have been making significant transportation infrastructure investments with COVID restrictions loosening, people seeking to spend more time outdoors, restaurants, entertainment, sporting events. Any initiatives underway to remind people that public transit is the way to travel? Clearly, traffic is returning and it is smart to take public transportation. We are having discussions at the general manager's office level about, you know, various programs and, you know, even marketing campaigns that I think that we're going to be working on that should be something coming out coming out sooner. Admittedly, Lydia, I, I mean, I've got to I got to somewhat give a bit of a disclaimer here that I'm the operations guy, right? I'm I'm the guy that kind of behind the scenes that's running the service on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And that really we do have our marketing team and our communications team that is thinking through and there's going to be a campaign that's going to be put forth with that. But along with that, we are also, you know, having some conversations about particularly in the commuter rail and what are some fair options, you know, changing our, our, our fare structure and, you know, how that could potentially look. So there's a lot of active conversations that are going with that regard right now. You know, ultimately it is my job. It's, it's our job to make sure though, that the service is there for when the people come back. And that's what we really need to do. And we need to make sure that everything, whether it's new red and orange line trains or our commuter rail trains running on the network, that they're operating reliably. And if we can rethink you know, various modes of operation along the way. It's definitely something that we're working on and we're thinking about internally. Right, right. Like the creativity with fear, the creativity of scheduling. And that's, I feel that's very important now. That's clearly the discussion of the day. You know, we internally have to think about what this looks like. I talked a little bit earlier about the rushes, right? And what do the rushes look like? The AM rush, the PM rush for the folks out there, it's generally from like 7.30 in the morning to about 9 a.m. And then in the afternoon, it was about from 4, 4.30 to about 6.30, 7 o'clock is kind of our areas where we had our rushes and obviously our highest amount of ridership. That may change and we have to be willing and, and able to adapt to that. And something we're gonna watch very, very closely and you know, we'll see how things go. Well, I'll tell you, being from Dorchester and a red line rider, I jump on at Ashy, as they called Ashmont and all the way to Park Street. And I'll tell you my recent experiences, I'm getting to Park Street in like, you know, 28 minutes, you know, and I was wanna like text somebody and be like, I don't know where all these issues come with the red line when other people are on it. I tend to get on and make my way, but clearly I find it very efficient. We're looking at right now just a number of things. So one of the projects that we are really passionate about internally is like the future red and orange line project. The, the introduction of the vehicles are only part of that whole program. In order for us to be able to run consistently at a four and a half minute headway on the orange line, excuse me, in a three minute headway on the red line is it's going to take a number of things. So the pandemic has given us the ability to really pay attention to things like dwell time at stations and the impact of dwell time at stations. So if you have a very crowded platform and your people are trying to get off the train in that crowded platform, it takes them longer to get off the train. 
get onto the platform. And then that congestion of the people getting on the trains basically means that a train is standing by for longer. One of the things that we have been able to see, now obviously all that infrastructure work that we've been doing along the way has allowed us to lift some speed restrictions, which is great. And that's been a help. Also, the dwell time at all of our stations now has really decreased. And that's something that we're watching closely. If we can get ourselves to even a 45 second dwell time at the stations consistently without making any other changes, we know that that has a significant impact on the capacity of what we offer and ultimately the reliability of the system. Exactly. Thank you for providing your insight and sharing and taking the time to communicate this information because I feel it's so important to educate the public and just remind them what it takes to operate a transit system. Right. People care. They talk about it daily and it, it's a topic that is in the minds of people and to communicate that and keep people involved is so important. Yes. And I, listen, Lydia, I will say if you even tune into any one of our board meetings that we have, there's half hour, sometimes 40 minutes worth of public comment, right? And you know that feedback, I think, is really critical and important because I would be lying if I said that there wasn't times where I would listen or, or get information from a various stakeholder group. And it makes you sit back and think, hmm you know what, that, that actually isn't a bad idea or that we need to rethink kind of what we're doing here. So I would totally agree with you that people feel very passionately about the tea, which I love, right? I have to go back to something you said earlier as well, that I am one of 6,500 employees. Every one of those employees plays a role in making the system run on a daily basis. And, you know, it's, I've got the easy part. I'm the one who just basically tells the story and they're the ones that actually have the hard part of doing the jobs every day. It does take a team. And it was proven even more so this past year at the T. I want to thank MBTA Deputy General Manager Jeff Gonneville for joining this edition of Building Boston and Beyond. Visit buildingbostonandbeyond.com to get a glimpse of our future guests and the many ways you can follow us on social media. Join us next time to hear the latest topics of discussion in Boston and beyond. Boston and Beyond.